because to play the Tetris, you must draft the cards to catch the fish to lure the cats to cover the rats. I mean, that's that's a pretty good summary of the game now. Greetings and salutations, board game fans. The Dice Pirates are back. This is episode 42. We have a little bit of a grab bag episode. We're going to be talking about a couple different games. We're going to be talking about Hive, Star Wars Pandemic. Just going to get some stuff that we've been playing recently in there. Of course, I am joined, as always, by Matt and Aaron. How are you guys doing? Oh, hi, hi. Uh, yeah, yeah. What? Oh, wait, are we started? Sorry, I was playing. Sorry, I'm playing Marvel Snap. Like right yes, now. the Matt's newest absolute obsession. In fact, I know you wanted to talk about this in a. I'm not. A, I'm not addicted. I can. I'm not addicted yet. I can stop anytime. I'm, but I'm just going to okay. stop Why later. Don't you stop right now. I'm. I'm, I'm going to stop later. But I, I can do it anytime. But I'm choosing to not do it now. Do you see how that works? The, the real power is choosing not to stop because it's a choice. Yeah, right, you know what? I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Just <laughs> just for the recording. <laughs> I'll put it down. So you've been playing a lot of that. Why do you like it so much? I, I played it a little bit. I haven't gotten as sucked in as you have. So tell me a little bit about it. What's what's really grabbed you? Oh, man. Okay. So, you know, I was seeing everybody and their mama tweeting and commenting about it in, like, Gamer World uh, on the various social medias. And I decided uh, last weekend I was on a bit of a road trip and wasn't driving. And I had a moment. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to download this. Uh, I can't decide if it was the best or worst thing I've uh, ever done uh, recently. But I thought it would be fun to talk about it on the show because it is a pretty good uh, board game, tabletop-esque experience. Um, it's If you've not played it, I'll give a quick synopsis of the game. I mean, it's essentially an area control card, card-driven area control game. There are three zones in the center of the playing area, and you play cards on your turn that represent various Marvel characters, villains, heroes all with a different power value. And uh, the total cumulative power value at the location, if you have the most, you win that location at the end of the game. And uh, if you win two out of the three locations, you win the whole match. It's that simple. Can you get the most power into at least two of the three uh, areas? Where it gets uh, really interesting is the various combinations of powers on your cards and powers on the location. So obviously you know, different characters you play will do uh, unique and interesting things. Iron Man will double the amount of power at any location when you play him. Uh, Mr. Fantastic uh, stretches out his little stretchy arms and adds power to the two adjacent locations next to wherever you put him, and so on and so forth. So there's all this, like, fun uh, card play and strategy that comes into the heroes. But then, like, further mixing it up is that each location has weird... uh, you know, powers that can totally change your strategy. For instance, uh, Shuri's uh, laboratory might, uh, you know, add power to any card that's played there. Whereas uh, if you play uh, on another location, it might add a rock into your deck. That's like a useless card that you can't. And so on. there's just all kinds of stuff. There's too many to even like rattle off. Uh, The worst one actually like destroys uh, all your characters on one side, uh, if you uh, are losing at a certain like point in the game. So it's just really fun, really asymmetrical, really keeps you on your toes because you don't know what 
uh, these locations are until they're slowly revealed over the first three rounds. So the whole game on turn three can get turned on its head when like the third location is revealed and it's totally different than what you expect. Uh, it's just really good, man. I really like it. It, it. it The things that I have thought about over the past few days of playing it are that I would desperately prefer to play this around the tabletop where it was not uh, completely saturated by all the mobile game addiction spiral trappings yeah. that <laughs> that really kind of are starting to bum me out and in all seriousness i probably am going to stop playing the game uh, altogether now that i've kind of feel like i've gotten my fuel of it i just hate everything about the mobile game say, like, experience it is and and this is such a uh, a milk toast stance to take it's not the worst monetization scheme in a mobile game like no you can't you can't like if oh, there's you're, you're really setting the bar super high right now <laughs> yeah like, like as an example wow i mean not the worst that's incredible if there's yeah. a specific card that you want you can't just buy that card you have to earn that card by you know climbing your collection level and and season uh, you know battle passes and stuff like that um the 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 monetization it is it is bad because like while you can't directly just buy a card you can buy the resources that you need to upgrade your cards to then increase your collection level in order to unlock that other card that you want so it, right. it is kind of roundabout but uh something that that you're talking about i I really like how they uh how the little nods in the it's it's what am i trying to say i like how there are some locations and some characters that work really well together for example uh one of the cards you can play is namor or namor from the comics depending on uh, what movie? If you've seen the recently. movie recently, uh, and he gets like plus five strength if he's your only card at one of yes. the locations, and one of the locations is his home, Atlantis. And Atlantis's ability is if you only have one card there, it gets plus five power. So if you put him in his home world, his power is even further increased, which is just a. a I, you know, it's it's the things that work well together, and I, I like to see that. I also, the presentation of it, just the the video and the audio overall, is so slick. Like when you when you first start the game, when you first start the game, like the most powerful card you have access to is the Hulk. It has twelve power and it doesn't do anything. But it, it has 12 power. That's like twice any other card that you have access to at that point. And when you play it onto the board, it doesn't just like flip over. It flips over and then it jumps up in the air and then it slams back into the table. There's a little crater that you can see around it and everything else like jumps up and wiggles around like from a shockwave. And like almost every character card has some little animation that it does and that only it does it's full of little flourishes like that that make it very thematic and fun uh 
But yeah, I mean, you know, for for tabletop fans, why should you look at this game? I, I it it has an incredibly cl- clever hook to me around the idea of mixing like card play uh, and area control, and the way uh, there's very satisfying strategies that emerge the synergy between various cards and the locations the locations are the secret sauce that i think makes it awesome uh you know it's it you expect that a card game has card powers that interact and some cards work really well together and you could create synergy i mean that's the basic dynamic of a collectible card game since magic the gathering basically invented the format but these location powers are what create this cool x factor because you can't just have like a deck that is guaranteed to win every time because it may be completely hosed by some uh, dynamics unique to the locations that came out in that particular match. So you're always thinking on your feet, like, okay, I've got to completely revamp my strategy and you need to bake in some versatility into building the decks. So it's a really fun, uh, there's just, uh, and when when you stumble into a great synergy in a particular match between your deck and the locations that came out, something awesome happens. Uh, it's really cool. Like you play Iron Man and it doubles the power of the all the heroes at that location. And then the location itself has a doubling effect and you get an even more power. Oh, mwah, chef's kiss. It's just, it's really, really good. But it also means that a round can go completely sideways in ways that you didn't expect. Never experienced that in a card-driven game. It's awesome. The other thing, the other couple of things, and I'll quit talking about it because I didn't really intend to review it, but it's worth noting that the matches are super short. They're six rounds, so they're like five to eight minutes. So, you know, it's perfect pick-up-and-play game, and the decks are really small. So they're, I think there's only like, what, like 12, 15 cards in a deck, something like that. Like it's, uh, when you're, so it makes it easy to build a deck is basically what I'm saying. You can quickly start experimenting. Once you build up a little collection of cards in there, you can quickly start experimenting with, I'm just going to slap together 14 cards and see how that does. So everything about the game is streamlined and fast and easy and accessible. The things I hate about it, though, then I'll shut up, is just how I can feel it playing on the serotonin uh, uptake inhibitors or, or whatever, like the dopamine in my brain constantly with this design. It's, it is masterfully designed to constantly be giving you little stimulated rewards. Like you finish the match and you win, and it doesn't just say you won. Like the screen explodes in light and color, and your phone vibrates a little bit. Victory! Bzzz. And then uh, you go into this drawn-out rewards animation screen. Like the cards upgrade; they don't just like unlock; they like explode, and like the characters change. And the, the, there's all of this like haptic feedback too like when you put stuff down the phone like buzzes and things unlock and then you go back to the main screen after the match and there's meters going up you see yourself it's like oh i'm my collection level is going up but then also my season rank went up and then this went up and then if i play just five more minutes i'll cross this threshold and then this thing will unlock and then when i click on it it'll explode like candy everywhere all over the screen and you can kind of feel your brain getting like sucked into this cycle of like let me play like two more. And I hate that stuff. I really, really do. So I want somebody to just full scale copy the gameplay mechanics of Marvel Snap and turn it into a tabletop game because it's a great game. But I don't want to be like having my brain rewired to want to keep reaching for my phone. So I <laughs> I think it's a great game. I think it's a really fun game that tabletop people should play. But if you are at all have a tendency toward like addiction and like you're you're already struggle with like your phone i just i 
cautious, <laughs> tread cautiously. It does have very light monetization, but you could easily get sucked into buying the stupid season pass very fast. So Marvel Snap, really brilliant game, uh, has all the worst things of modern mobile gaming all baked into it. Love it. All right, everyone. That's our full review of uh, Marvel Snap. Thank you. That's the episode. That's that's all we did. Yeah, that's all we're gonna do today. That, that's what we're doing. Um, we're actually gonna jump in. We're gonna do a quick episode of Bitter Board Gamers. Uh, of course, I'm gonna read out some uh, one star reviews. You guys are gonna try and guess uh, what game I'm talking about. We were gonna do this last week, but Matt had a surprise game for us, so I'm bringing it in now. Are you guys ready? You guys excited? I'm always Sorry. ready. Okay, first game. <clears throat> I usually love drafting, but here it's just painful. This game makes me puke, literally. <laughs> also, don't buy a used game from this guy, apparently. Right? That would be a bad idea. This game makes me puke. These cards are sticky. Literally. Uh, This game makes me puke, literally. It's a drafting game that makes you puke. It's a drafting game. From, like, anxiety or because the card art is gross? Is there a gross game? Honestly. Uh, Who knows? I don't know. Uh, I'm going to give you another small one that you probably won't get, but it might help. Small, very, very slight hint. Yeah. Any game that doesn't come with an organizer is an automatic one. Candyland is like $10 and has an insert. What's your excuse? A card drafting game that does not have an organizer, no organizer. will make I mean, you that's, puke. That's a lot of them. Does, does Seven Wonders have an organizer? <laughs> I'm just going to say Seven Wonders. It's the first drafting game that pops in my head. Not Seven Wonders. Is it Blood Rage? Does Blood Rage have an organizer? It is not Blood Rage. Does Blood Rage have an organizer? I thought Blood Rage had an it's organizer. It's probably got Doesn't like it? a crappy one. It's got one for the minis, but I don't know about the cards. Yeah. 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 There's, there's technically room that the cards can go in, but they will not stay there. All right. You guys want a... Uh, well, I got, my next reviews are probably going to give it a... Okay. Give it away. Oh, well, okay, so... I'll give you guys an option. You got a two two very short reviews that will probably give it away, and then there's a very very long review where this guy wrote a a, a full essay. Do you want to hear snippets of that? I want to hear snippets of the essay. <laughs> I want to hear snippets of the okay. essay. <laughs> all right, all right, we're gonna start in. All right, this game is so bad. And also, if you guys know what it is during, call it out as I'm reading because I'm sure you'll figure it out at some point. Okay. This game is so bad that I have trouble calling it a game. It is a collection of loosely related, poorly explained rules with an unrelated theme wafting in their general direction. <laughs> First, the card drafting mechanic at the core of the game is horrible. I witnessed true misery as my family realized they had to repeat the process of card drawing, exchanging, and then buying to start each turn. The misery continued through all this of the This is Isle of Cats. <laughs> it's Isle of Cats. <laughs> this is 100% Isle of Cats. <laughs> Uh, oh. you know what? I'm kind of, uh, I've played Isle of Cats uh, a second time and I'm coming towards this person's viewpoint <laughs> on it a little bit. I got, I know we're talking about doing an Isle of Cats episode where we break it down, but I've got, I've got complicated feelings about Isle of Cats. I'll just leave it there. Yeah, it's, uh, we're definitely going to review this one because, uh, I, I played it a bit with my wife. We enjoy it, but I do have thoughts about it. Um, I'm going to continue a few more snippets from this. Then the rest of the turn is boring. The whole game is boring. It's just the most slow-moving game of Tetris-based point salad you've ever played. <laughs> because to play the Tetris, you must draft the cards to catch the fish to lure the cats to cover the rats. 
I mean, that's that's a pretty good summary of the game, though. <laughs> the pretty good summary. Of the game. Yeah. That's, oh, that's, and this that's bad fair. guy is going to destroy the world, but only so the game ends eventually. This is actually the one on theme part of the game because midway through each turn, you are wishing for a sudden apocalypse to consume the entire <laughs> Earth and you with it. That's fantastic. Finally, at the end, people win purely for having lucked into drawing one of the very few mega useful cards from the monolithic pile of cards. There is no equalization. What a poorly conceived game from top to bottom. It shows that some people will go for anything if it's a big enough salad of points with enough inane rules and random bits of paper flotsam. Um, okay. That's maybe a little more uh, hate than I would spew toward that game, but there's some there's some strong guys making some strong points. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> He's making some valid points. It's probably one of the best written and well thought out uh like one star reviews that I think I've seen, especially in bitter board. As games. a as a connoisseur of one star reviews, you've you've read a lot of one star BGG reviews. That's I, you know your stuff. I've probably read read more one star reviews than the average bear uh, at this point. Yeah. So, alrighty, we're gonna go ahead and move on to our next game because how are we gonna top that? And uh, here here is your first review. This game is so dumb. There is no intellect and no skill other than lying your face off and calling bluffs. Not my cup of tea. I prefer strategy and real skill. It took 10 to 15 minutes to learn, and each round was over in 1 to 2 minutes. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Is it is it Sheriff of Nottingham? That's exactly what I thought. It, oh, it's not Sheriff of Nottingham. It's not Sheriff of Nottingham, but you're on the, on the right track. I mean, it can't, it can't be Werewolf, because Werewolf is never over that quickly. No. That's true. That's true. It takes the whole... Is it Koo? It is Koo! There we go! Look at that! I didn't even have to give you a second review. Wow. <laughs> all, I think, all I think I know about Koo is it's, like, faster than most Deception games. Yeah, Koo tends to be a little bit quicker, and, uh... But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think there's a place for that. I mean, I kind of like not spending a ton of time on each round. Yeah. I mean, most a lot of these, like, uh, deception, like, party games are, like, big events. They take a while. Everyone's got to... You got to get up for it. it. This is the event of the evening is to play, like, The Resistance or whatever. Like, this is what we're doing tonight. But Coup is like, you know, we can knock that out in a, in a game night. I love that they scaled down the you know, deception party game into a, something smaller and a little faster. Yeah, it is a, uh, it is definitely like interesting in its position within like secret role games because I mean, yeah, you can play Avalon, you can play resistance, you can play secret Hitler. I mean, there's all werewolf. There's the whole mm -hmm. just, you know, spectrum of secret role games. So it is a it, coup holds an interesting place because it is, you wonder if maybe the part of the reason that it's so high is just because of when it came out and it managed to get hold of an area. Does it deserve that space? You know? Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to do an episode on uh, secret role games sometime. That would be cool. Hidden role games. Those are those are fun. I, th I wanted it to be Sidereal Confluence again, just to make it just to keep bringing that game up. <laughs> <laughs> just to make Aaron mad. Yeah. That's that's all we mm -hmm. that's all we mm -hmm. want to do. All right, so that's Bitter Board Gamers. We're going to go ahead and move on to our main discussion. We're going to be right back in just a second. All righty, and welcome back to the Dice Parts, where we're going to go ahead and uh, dive into our main topic this week, which is going to be uh, a... Dice Pirates uh, Doubleheader? Not a tripleheader, doubleheader. We're going to talk about two uh, board games today, uh, two games that we've been playing recently and think are pretty swell. 
Uh, I'm going to be bringing you some thoughts, some feelings about Star Wars, The Clone Wars, uh, a pandemic system game, uh, and Ian is going to have some words about Hive, the classic tile-laying game of bugs and uh, excitement. Uh, More to come on that. So what do we want to start out with, guys? Bugs or Jedi? I'll start out with uh, Hive because it's, it's a nice, simple one to start with. I think it, you know, I don't, have either of you guys played Hive? Actually, I'm. I'm I have not, not sure. and I it's actually been on my radar for a number of years because uh, Quentin uh, Smith, patron saint of uh, modern board gaming at uh, Shove and Sit Down, uh, is a Hive fan and did a. Uh, a review of the game some years ago that made it look really fun and cool and I've always wanted to pick it up and play it and I just have never done it. So it's been on my bucket list for a while so I'm excited to hear what you think about it. I have played Hive and uh, I I am just far too smooth-brained for that game because it's I mean it's, it's one of those like perfect information you you know exactly what can and can't happen at any moment and yeah. I'm just I'm, I'm not I need, I need a deck of cards. I need some dice rolling. I need chance in order to, to give me an opportunity to win. If it's just strategy and skill, I, I, I have, I have no, there's no way. Yeah. So, uh, Hive is like you get, you know, it's like you said, a perfect information game. It is uh, a two-player game where each person receives a bunch of different tiles, and each tile has a uh, has a bug on it. There's uh, several different types of bugs. There's a couple like duplicates, and um, as you start off the game, you're going to start putting some of your tokens into the middle, and uh, eventually you have to put out your uh, your B token, which is essentially kind of like your your king in a way, and you have to protect that. From being surrounded and if at any point that one specific tile is surrounded on all sides you lose the game and that's it that that's the entire basis to the game is that you can't let it be surrounded and each specific bug has a different way of moving some move a certain number of spaces uh, some can move as far as they want as long as they are uh, following the exterior of the hive that you're building as you connect everything together some will jump over the pieces that are currently on the the board there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can move and and each one is unique in the way that it approaches and so you have to be thinking about that i i had heard about this i really didn't know much about it but i decided to pick it up because our uh, local game store had a sale on a bunch of games for uh halloween and so i picked up i picked up the pocket edition specifically so that my wife and i could bring it on trips and we could play it in a very limited space which actually um and i'll touch on this again later is one of the major upsides is it's really good in terms of table space so the the game is i think it's really good because you start out and you have to learn of course how the bugs move and stuff like that but it feels very very simple at the start you you bring it up and you're like okay you know my okay i get this you know the you know the grasshopper jumps over things you know the beetle's gonna jump up on other bugs and move around and you know so long as everything stays connected you know i can't pick up something and have two different parts of the the board game i can't have tiles not touching you know so like there are small rules to understand but in generally it's it's pretty simple to get and then all of a sudden as you start playing you start to connect the dots in your mind and you're like oh but but this guy because he can jump he doesn't have to he can be stuck in the middle or what if i start running you know the my 
my B token, you know, my king token towards theirs. How is that going to change the game? We got into situations, my wife and I, where I was within one, two moves of finishing her off. I was going to, I was going to win. And then I just couldn't, I couldn't finish it off. I couldn't convert. Mm. She made enough moves where she, all of a sudden, instead of playing defensively, she turned it on me and she started going towards my my uh my b and in the process of me trying to defend and keep my b from being surrounded i had to move tokens away from hers and i became so weak by the end that actually i then ended up losing so it's one of those games that and matt i'd love to play this with you at some point maybe we can pick it up on you know play it on bga or something yeah there is so much depth in this very simple little game that you can play it and play it and play it and still be learning things i i genuinely like i honestly think that this is one of those games like if it had been developed you know if this i think is very much in the same game same vein as something like you know chess or checkers or go things like that it has the same simplicity of mechanics but the same depth of understanding that i think there's a lot to love about this one it, it really is i mean it, it is bug chess like it is that same there's a very simple rule set pieces can only do one or two specific things you don't need to learn oh well if this guy is surrounded like there's there's no additional stuff beyond this piece can do this specific move and there's only you know a handful of pieces in the game but it is really that trying to figure out how to best exploit all of your options at all times you know it 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 becomes a, a game it can very quickly become a game where you you stop trying to necessarily protect your queen but force the other person to have to protect theirs and that back and forth of like having to swap between playing very very aggressively to almost immediately having to start playing very very defensively it 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 scratches my brain in in ways that are both exciting and also painful and uh the things that i I really really like about this are you know of course like i said there's a a lot of depth to it you can really kind of dig in and and really you know explore the game and really think about it but you also don't have to i mean it the nice thing is it is simple enough that you can just learn it and play and as you you know play with the same person you're eventually going to discover things but you can still enjoy it without getting too sweaty about how you play and as i mentioned earlier it is a re- it is really respectful of the table space um there is no board there's no cards at least you know, like within the pocket edition which is the one i picked up um and all you're playing with are tiles mm-hmm. so the pocket edition itself doesn't even come with a, a box it comes with a bag that you have all your tiles in and so you pull your tiles out you bring you put them on the whatever surface you have and uh you just go ahead and play you could probably play this on a airport you know on, a, on an airplane you know fold down table tray if you wanted to it's it's that respectful of your space and i think that's really for something this this interesting I really like that you do have a game that actually is able to be so small because there's not a lot of games that you can condense into that small of an area. I, th- I think that the uh, that's true of the base, like the original Hive as well, that it's just tiles, there's no board. It's always been sort of famously a game you can dump out on the floor and play pretty much anywhere. I mean, uh, I think even Base Hive is almost kind of a, a very portable 
travel friendly game anyway so it's kind of cool that they've even like scaled it down even more and made it like truly pocket size so you can get it around um but uh i've always thought that this game was intriguing a really cool evolution of that long tradition of like movement logic puzzle games from like go to chess to checkers to to nine men's Morris that we t- I talked about like two or three episodes back. Like this feels like a modern uh, reinterpretation of all of that, where it's like within a framework of certain like movement rules, can you achieve a win state? Those are timeless like ways to play a game. And it feels like this game could truly be like an enduring classic, but I'll, I've always wondered, does like the bug theme hold it back a little bit? Like do people like pass over this on the shelf because it's like a game about bugs you know, it's like, I don't know, you know, but it's actually a really cool game. If you reskin this with like, I don't know, knights and stuff, like would people, I don't know, would it look more classy, <laughs> you know, to like the average Maybe. consumer? Maybe. I, I mean, I think it's really nice. I like that it doesn't try to, I mean, it. it's really just that there's, there's bugs on the tokens themselves, you know, which in some ways kind of, I don't know, helps for the theme because it makes some of them logical. Yeah. In some ways, the way they move, but also, I mean, I don't know. It's it it is a little pretty. Like it's kind of nice to look at. I like you know? it. The it's a very it's a very simplistic looking theme, and I don't think it necessarily hurts it so much. Mm-hmm. I I do think this is one to consider if you're thinking about getting a board game for Christmas. You're looking at gifts and stuff like that. You can find it for thirty to forty dollars. It's at you know most places. I think it's a worthwhile one to to jump in with somebody at Christmas and just play play a bunch of quick rounds you know it's it's a really really surprising little gem that i I was very happy to very happy to find that's awesome yeah it feels like it's a game i wish that you that you had played or we had played back when we did our uh gateway games episode you know many many months ago because it's this is like if you if you're trying to break out of like the traditional family games into like something a little deeper this is a good anybody can sit down and play this if they're at all familiar with the basic concepts of chess but it's like taking it in a different direction so i'm very oh, curious absolutely. i would love to play this i'm sure this is on uh board game arena it is right? i just checked. yeah it's also worth mentioning that the the physical version all the pieces are these really nice chunky like bake light pieces yes. like yeah it is a joy to hold and to play just because of the satisfying little clicks and clacks of the pieces and they have a nice weight to them like it's it's one of those things that when you put it out on a table when you put it out on a table it draws people to it because it it just sounds and looks so appealing all right so of course that was my game but matt i know that you have one a little bit more in depth that you want to talk about so why don't you bring us into star wars pandemic yeah and now for something uh completely different uh we're gonna talk about star wars the clone wars a pandemic system game which is a mouthful of a title uh from our uh good friends at z-man games uh, I played this, uh, I think maybe like two weeks ago for the first time. I've only played it once, so I don't know that I could call this a review. I'm going to say this is impressions and some thoughts, but it's probably the most fun I've had with a new game in a long time. Uh, it was just a really simple, easy to pick up game that was wonderfully thematic. It ended uh, on a high note with the heroes victorious. It really delivered everything you want out of a co op experience. And I walked away just 
re-impressed with the rule set around Pandemic. So what is this game? Well, it's basically uh, what it sounds like. It is uh, Pandemic Star Wars. Uh, instead of disease uh, spreading around the galaxy, uh, the little droid uh, trooper things from the Clone Wars, the battle droids, are spreading and all over different planets. And you play Jedi. Uh, from the game and from the uh, I'm sorry you played Jedi from the uh, Clone Wars era and you're moving around from planet to planet trying to clear uh, robots from uh, clear the droids before they uh, cluster up and uh, in pandemic style explode Uh, and interestingly in this game uh, when you get three droids on a planet and would place a fourth they don't explode out in that pandemic style like uh, bounce to the next adjacent planets they form a blockade and uh, a trade federation outpost like forms there, which means you have to clear, defeat that before you can then start clearing out the rest of the droids. So it basically locks down a planet. So it's a little bit, in some ways, like a little bit easier, but when the uh, trade federation planet, uh, when it, when it, when it goes into blockade, your like terror level or threat level like descends down, and and when you get down to the bottom, you lose. So you want you still want to stop, you know, clear these planets out, but it, you don't quite have the same like clustering and like spreading around of uh, of droids the way the sickness disease cubes do. I mean, that doesn't sound too hard. Just try spinning. You know, that's, yeah, that's a neat trick. Just try spinning. Is it is that a Star Wars reference that I'm not getting? <laughs> Yeah, it's a uh, it's a episode one reference, weren't you? You know, man, I sorry, like Star Wars, you know? but I broke up with the Clone Wars era media a long time ago, and don't try to have an <laughs> innate know, distrust of it. So it is fun when I play like stuff in this setting because I don't know what like a lot of this is, <laughs> what any of it means. That's, <laughs> that's fair. I am curious. so I do like the the look of it though. Do you you know you were saying is it easier then because well you, no you don't because have spreading out no because you have the villain moving around the board. So in our scenario we play against Darth Maul, and so that's the X factor that's harder to deal with than just the droids. I mean you want to be clearing out the droids, but every turn Darth Maul is moving around the board and uh, taking actions at the end of each hero. And so not at the end of each round, but after every turn Darth Maul gets a turn. And he, uh, or whatever villain you're playing, there's several that come in the pack. And they're going to take actions that could instantly make the uh, like threat level descend. If, you're, if he does something, he can cause you know droids to spawn out in different places. He's, it's bad. You can attack him directly and get him off the board for a, a few rounds, but then he'll respawn. But you want to get him off the board because if he's on the board in between turns, he's going to do something not great. Uh, basically, uh, he has his own little tracker on his card that's like his power level. And when he reaches five, uh, you reset his power level back to one and then descend the overall threat level of the game. So basically, you're constantly trying to like mitigate him gaining power, causing the whole game to get closer and closer to defeat. So I do think that the exploding mechanic being removed it was probably a little bit of a balancing because you're dealing with a villain, which is different than, than base pandemic. And it's pretty hard. And you don't just clear robots and you don't just clear, uh, you don't just take the action and say like, I'm clearing three robots. You have to roll to attack. And so you actually might not be able to get the robots cleared at any given moment. So they've, they've done some things to balance it from like base pandemic, but also makes it more thematic because you do, you're attacking and you're attacking Darth Maul and all this stuff. The other element that makes it great is you're playing squad cards. So all throughout the game, you can acquire, um, 
cards that represent like clone troopers or uh, assets like vehicles to help you like boost your movement or uh, defensive things that you can spend to like block damage. And you can spend those on your turn to uh, exhaust those on your turn to add to an attack. So if I roll and I don't get enough damage to either like take out Darth Maul or take out these clone trooper or take out some droids on a planet, I can cash in some of my uh, clone troopers to uh, to do that. And you can uh, also acquire like you know heroes like uh, you know Ahsoka or uh, actually I think she's one of the Jedi you can play. Uh, but anyway, like known characters from the game that have like even more like cool like special abilities. So. Uh, so, so are you actually playing as like various Jedi and, and various characters? Yeah, you'll play like you know I was Obi Wan when I played. So it has Obi Wan, Anakin. I'm pretty sure it has Ahsoka, uh, a blue haired, a lady with blue tentacles on her head that I didn't know who she was, but I'm sure people do. Um, You're thinking of the Fifth Element. That's the opera singer. No, no, she was blue. She was, she was not orange. So yes, you're playing as Jedi, and each one has uh, asymmetric powers that you can uh, bring into play to do cool stuff on the board. So the whole thing is awesome. It builds up to uh, a final uh, showdown. The basic goal of the game is to complete four missions uh, that are going to be out on the board, and you need to travel to specific planets and require and meet certain requirements. But when all four missions are cl- are, are cleared, the boss is vulnerable. Then you got to get to where the boss is at and take uh, the boss out, and then you win the game. And it is all the while just the threat level is plunging down lower and lower and lower. And when we played it, we won basically like at the last you know possible minute before Darth Maul would have been victorious, and uh, it was awesome. And we had really great moments of like. Oh, should we go deal with that planet over there? It has a lot of droids on it. And then we almost didn't, and then we did. And the fact that we made that choice is like how we ended up winning the game. Not that blue-haired lady. No, I, I assume he's talking about Ayla Secura. That's it, Ayla Secura. That's the one. So, Weird. it's just a really solid uh, cooperative experience that is really simple to grasp the rules. I know I kind of glossed over the basic mechanics, but I mean, once you sit down and play it, it's really just a game of like movement, mitigating threats, and trying to work toward the collective goal. And it's pandemic. It's pandemic, but it was shocking how awesome that system adapted itself to Star Wars. And I sort of knew uh, that that Z-Man has been releasing all these reskinned pandemic games with totally different themes, like a Cthulhu version. There was a World of Warcraft version that came out not too long ago. There was one that dealt with the fall of Rome. And I sort of wondered like how those games felt using the backbone of the pandemic thing. And now I'm actually very curious and kind of want to pick up <laughs> a couple more of the games in this series because the pandemic base like mechanic is just a remarkably smart set of rules because it just perfectly simulates the feeling of escalating threat, having to mitigate it, having to make tough choices between threats emerging in different locations, uh, having to work together around the group. It's really hard to completely like dominate every player has to like play a role to like manage all the threats nobody is like the individual like quarterback like everybody has to do something on their turn to like work together it's just a really really good rule set and all these years later pandemic i think is still like probably the the cornerstone like best cooperative rule set that's come out maybe ever 
That sounds really fun. I am curious. My my one question would be visually as you play because obviously there's lots of minis the minis seem fairly uh diverse like there's a lot of stuff like there's a lot of interesting characters but color wise you know they're either blue for the droids and then kind of a like a sandish color for the you know the um like the jedi and the various heroes that you have so visually is it interesting i've heard i've seen a lot of complaints about like the board being really uninspired just not visually fascinating to look at did you have any complaints about that as you were playing okay full full disclosure uh dennis our buddy our good friend and fellow dodge pirate had painted the entire set before we played it so they looked awesome uh they were like uh (laughs) they were like really well done he did a great job with it uh and that added a lot i gotta admit and so it does add to your enjoyment tremendously, like having the lightsabers be the right colors and the droids are, you know, have a wash on them to give them a little aged patina and all of that. So, yes, I'll admit in the base box, I've seen it, too. It's pretty bad. In fact, Dennis was like, I'm not even going to bring this over until I paint it. He's had it. He's been sitting on this game for a while because he was like, it, it's pretty uninspired in the box. So that is a pretty serious caveat to it. Beyond that, I didn't hate other aspects of the design that some people have been griping about. I think the art on the cards is great. Like the they don't like recycle like images from the Clone Wars cartoons or anything or like do any kind of lame shortcut. Like it's all really good original art of all the characters and scenes. So I liked the cards. The board is like a spectrum of planets. It kind of is what it is. It looks like a Star every Star Wars game looks like this. So I guess I've just kind of gotten used to it. Uh, the minis are nicely detailed. They're not huge, but they're nice. And uh, it has a really big oversized like dice that you roll, and I liked it. It was fun to chunk out and play. So it's not, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing game that you know I've played, but it didn't. Uh, I don't think I would be like you know unwilling to play it, like you know unpainted. I think it's fine. But it's just right. really fun. If you like Star Wars, if you want a Star Wars good Star Wars game, this is a this is a great one to look at. If you're looking for a new co-op game that's easy to pick up for your group, I think it's worth looking. But the whole thing has just made me really reappreciate, you know, when Matt Leacock created Pandemic and basically kind of invented like modern co-op gaming in some ways with that with that experience. Like that's such a smart, malleable rule set that can be adapted to so many things. And I, I am very curious now to like pick up and take a look at some of the other things that Z-Man's doing, you know, with the system. There's probably a certain amount of sameness, but I would say at this point, like if there's a theme in that lineup that like speaks to you, like the Rome one, if you like history more than the stuff, or if you're a Warcraft nerd, I think these games will really satisfy you. I mean, Pandemic is a sort of a cornerstone, and this made me appreciate it all the more. All right, so that is the episode for today. Of course, a, a couple suggestions from us, especially you know, as we get closer to the holidays. Always, always worth it to consider, you know, games that you might want to put on your wish list. So, you know, we're trying to keep your options open. Of course, want to thank everybody for listening. As always, really do appreciate if you enjoy listening to the podcast. Do consider giving us a, a review somewhere or a favorite, or just tell somebody about it. You know, we we always do appreciate it really means a lot um matt if people do want to get in touch with us uh where can they do that you can find us on instagram we are there at dice pirates uh we're there all week long giving updates mini reviews posting about what we're playing unboxings uh shout out to dice pirate max who's been doing some really cool reels so you can actually see 
uh, a little bit of video of us playing this exact game. If you go to our Instagram account and check out the Reels tab, uh, you can see us in action. You can see live shots of my fingers. That's weird, but it's a thing that you can do. Finally. We've all been waiting for this moment. All right, well, keep your eyes peeled. Of course, we will be coming out with a new episode soon. Hopefully, I, you know, not in case it doesn't happen, I don't want to give anything away, but hopefully it'll be a really interesting episode coming out soon. So fingers crossed, wait for that one. But until then, of course, we'll be right here on the Dice Pirates. Play more games! Play more games!